Well, as I mentioned before, uh, both this week and next week, we're going to be looking at different groups. This week, we're going to be looking at what I will call nominal Christianity. And what I mean by that is those groups who would profess some type of Christianity. I would call nominal Christianity in name only. Um, and so this week, I want us to look at several of these groups. Now, but before we do that, I want to draw to your attention some distinguishing characteristics they have in common. They're not all going to have the same thing in common, but they do have certain things in common. And the first one is a new revelation from God. Typically, though, a new revelation is really uh, an ancient heresy. It's nothing really new. It's just called something differently. Uh, And they will have a denial of the sole authority of the Bible. They will have a distorted view of God, of Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. They often have a distorted view of humankind. And they have a denial of salvation by grace through faith. And they will often have, they will use biblical terminology, but they will mean different things than what you and I mean by them. And so often they will also have a single authority figure who uses fear tactics. They use all type of tactics, but one common they have is fear. And so... Uh, Before we begin, though, I just kind of want to point out uh, one of the books I I got a long time ago, but if you want to know more about the different groups, uh, one uh, one book is by Ron Rhodes. Uh, He goes over several of them, uh, could be cults, some of them are, you know, different world religions, uh, and he goes over just, and he goes over a lot of them. Uh, It's typically about three to five pages each. Any one of you, uh, if you see me after class, you're welcome to borrow it. Um, And it goes over a lot of different groups. Um, And so some of them we're going to be looking at here. Uh, And the first one is going to be Mormonism. Do we have anyone that uh, is very familiar with Mormon or used to be an ex-Mormon, any of that? You were? I'm just familiar with them. Okay. Okay, I think depending here in the States, depending on where you live, you're going to have more influence. I know here in Idaho and Utah, if you live there, you're going to be influenced by a lot of it. And so some of this, I have a lot, a whole lot of material. And so some of this is just going to be seem, going to seem like I'm going to have to speed read and go real quickly through it. Um, some of the scriptures that we can use to engage in Mormons, you can also use for other groups. And what we're going to be looking at, just so you're aware, if you're taking notes... Uh, We're going to be looking at Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, Oneness Pentecostal, Roman Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Pelagianism, and what I'm also going to call cultural Christianity. Uh, And eighth, if we even get to it, is Jewish going to be looking at some role play on paper, uh, a Christian and a cultist, kind of how they interact and how you can see an interaction on paper, what we can learn from that. So again, the first one is Mormonism. Now, I, I just recently got this. Um, this is just what they call key beliefs, practices, and history. I picked this up at Mardell. Very helpful. Um, and what it is, again, it just asks some of the questions. Um, was Joseph Smith a true prophet? Is the Mormon church the true church and so forth? And so what it kind of is just a brochure, really. You can open it up. Kind of tells you what Mormonism claims, what the Bible teaches. Uh, so you can kind of compare it 
next to each other. Um, and it talks about him being the prophet because, again, Mormonism will fall um, or be stand truthful as what he claims. And so you just continue um, what, it, you know, does Mormonism even borrow some scriptures? Yes, in fact, they do. Is it trustworthy? Um, and you can go through. And then on the back of it, again, it's going to be some helpful tips. You know, how to engage with Mormons. Um, kind of where to start with and what you may or may not want to state with them on the first conversation. You know, certain things may be more developed. And so I want to get into, real quickly, Mormonism's history. It began with Joseph Smith, Jr., who was born on December 23rd in 1805 in Vermont. Joseph Smith, Jr. stated that he was disturbed by all the different denominations. Okay? So he wondered which one to turn to. So in 1820, when he was about anywhere from 14 to 15, he went into the woods to pray concerning this. And allegedly, God the Father and Jesus appeared to him and told him not to join any of the denominational churches. Now, real quickly, partly is that uh, he was told, supposedly, that they had all gone apostate, that they they all were teaching something wrong, and now he's supposedly going to receive a revelation from God to restore the church. So this being said, I want to direct our attention to what Jesus says about whether or not the church at large would go apostate. Jesus promises followers that he would be with them in their ministry of making disciples, baptizing, and teaching, even unto the end of the world, Matthew 28, 20. He promised that he would build his church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. And such promises would have been broken had Jesus allowed his church to be destroyed. While the Bible does mention that some shall depart from the faith in 1 Timothy 4, 1, It never implies that a universal or complete apostasy would take place prior to his return. The fact that some would depart implies that others would not. The New Testament here and elsewhere portrays portrays apostasy as the acts and attitudes of individual and groups breaking away from the church. You can see that in 1 John 2.19. But not as a church ceasing to exist altogether. So I just wanted to point that in because I've had Mormons come to my door and they essentially start, you know, with we ought to receive this because they got an apostate. Well, if I'm going with what Jesus said, I, no, he said he promised to build it and, you know, conti- continue it. So three years later, on September 21st, 1823, when he was approximately 17 years old, an angel called Moroni, who was supposed to be the son of Mormon, the leader of the people called the Nephites who lived in America appeared to him and told him he had been chosen to translate the Book of Mormon, which was compiled by Moroni's father around the 4th century. The book was written on golden plates hidden near where Joseph uh, was then living in New York. Joseph Smith said that on September 22, 1827, he received the plates and the angel Moroni instructed him to begin the translation process. The translation was finally published in 1830 as a Book of Mormon. Joseph claimed that during the translation process, John the Baptist appeared to him and ordained him to accomplish the divine work 
of restoring the true church by preaching the true gospel, which allegedly had been lost from the earth. The Book of Mormon is supposed to be the account of people who came from the Middle East to the Americas. It covers a period of about 600 BC to 480. It tells of the you know, several groups of people all the way back from people from the Tower of Babel who came to Central America but perished because of their own immorality. It also describes some Jews who fled persecution in Jerusalem and came to America led by a man called Nephi. The Jews divided into two groups known as the Nephites and Lamanites who fought each other. Nephites were defeated in 428 AD. The Lamanites continued are known as the American Indians. The Book of Mormon is the account of the Nephite leader, Mormon, concerning their culture, civilization, and appearance of Jesus to the Americas. Okay? And so after the publication of the Book of Mormon, Mormonism began to grow because of their religion was so deviant from Christianity. Again, they had plurality of gods, polygamy, and so forth. Persecution soon forced them to move from New York to Ohio, and then to Missouri, and finally, uh, to Illinois. And after being accused of breaking some laws in Nauvoo for destroying, well, essentially it was for destroying the printing press, Joseph and his brother, Hiram, ended up in jail. A mob later broke into the jail and killed Joseph and his brothers. And so you kind of have it, and that's kind of a brief history. What I've done here, and again, you're welcome to it, um, I kind of printed this whole thing out on some some paper here and you're welcome to have this if you want to see me after class you're certainly welcome to it now I kind of want to go over real quickly is what does Mormonism teach okay um, some of the doctrines that they teach again concerning atonement Jesus paid for all our sins when he suffered in the garden of Gethsemane we accept Christ's atonement by repenting of our sins being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and obeying all of the commandments. Okay? They teach baptism. They teach a baptism for the dead. They say this is a practice of baptizing each other in place of non-Mormons who are now dead. They believe concerning the Bible. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. This is in the eighth article of the Faith of the Mormon Church. Okay? They believe of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is more correct than the Bible. You hear this in the history of the church, okay, of the Mormon church. They believe concerning the devil. The devil was born as a spirit after Jesus in the morning of preexistence. They believe that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers, and we were all born as siblings in heaven to them both. They believe that a plan of salvation was needed for the people of earth, so Jesus offered a plan to the Father, and Satan offered a plan to the Father, but Jesus, the plan of Jesus was the one that was accepted. In effect, the devil wanted to be the savior of all mankind and to deny men their agency to dethrone God. Concerning God the Father, God used to be, and according to them, God used to be a man on another planet. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man. God is in the form of a man. God himself was once as we are now, an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder in the heavens. God the Father had a father. 
God resides near a star called Kolob, K-O-L-O-B. They say that God had sexual relations with Mary to make the body of Jesus. Okay, they believe that God, uh, essentially we can become gods. They believe God, speaking mother goddess, there is a mother god. Okay, God is married to his goddess wife and his spirit children. And speaking of the Trinity, the Trinity is three separate gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That these three are separate individual individuals physically distinct from each other is demonstrated by the accepted records of divine dealings with man, according to the Mormon doctrine. The gospel. If you, many Mormons will come to your door and they'll say, hey, we're here to declare to you the gospel. So what is the gospel according to Mormonism? Well, they would say the true gospel was lost from the earth. Mormonism is its restoration. It consists of laws and ordinances, as these sins are the result of individual acts as it is just that forgiveness for them should be conditioned on individual compliance with prescribed requirements, essentially that being to the uh, doctrine of Mormonism. In regards to heaven, they believe in three, you might say three heavens or three levels of heaven, the celestial, terrestrial, and celestial. Essentially what that looks like is you have hell, uh, where the devil and his angels, and they would say really, really bad people, Stalin, Hitler, and so forth, those who may be in, you know, involved in Satanism, stuff like that, that's where they go. The rest, uh, perhaps Catholics, Protestants, um, they would say good uh, Muslims, and so forth, and even those who are Mormons, but not really, you know, all that practicing it. They're kind of in the middle. And then if you abide by the doctrines of Mormonism, you live a life in accordance to what they teach, you perhaps can then attain the highest level of heaven, perhaps then even being given uh, your own planet. Okay? And that's, and, and that, that's what being sealed in the desert. That would be one of them. Uh, typically, that's, you know, there's, it kind of depends if you're talking about marriage as well. You know, they don't even allow... You know, there are certain requirements to even be allowed to marry, you know, going to the temple. Um, so concerning the, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is a male personage. Okay, concerning Jesus, the first spirit to be born in heaven was Jesus. Again, we've talked about Jesus and Satan, our spirit brothers, according to them. Um, according to them, the sacrifice of Jesus was not able to cleanse us from all of our sins. Okay, they would say murder and repeated adultery are exceptions. Um, they would say that the let me see here. They would say that the birth of the Savior was as natural as are the births of our children. It was a result of natural action. Okay, they say. Um, let's see, in concerning pre-existence, we were first begotten as spirit children in heaven and then born naturally on earth. Again, the first spirit to be born in heaven was Jesus. Uh, Concerning salvation, this is one that um, they would say one of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and pronounced by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God, that belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. Again, they're calling that a damnable doctrine. 
They would say a plan of salvation was needed for the people of earth, so Jesus offered a plan to the Father, and again, Satan counteroffered it. What's, what's their citation? Is that the Doctrines and Covenants? Or? Uh, that, uh, the one I just mentioned, was through the Miracle of Forgiveness, uh, Spencer Kimball. Uh, and again, what I want to, uh, and I'll quickly kind of go over, um, they have four standard works, okay? And what I mean by that, essentially they use four different books, okay? One of them, again, they will typically, if, if you ask them, do you read your Bible? They will say yes. But the Bible that they use, and I'm not, I'm, I'm totally for it, is the King James Bible. I'm not going to use any other translation, okay? So if you're engaging with them, it's probably most helpful to use the King James Bible with them because they're probably not going to accept any other one, okay? They also use the Book of Mormon, okay? And then they use what is called, if you see a quote and then you see DNC, it's what is called Doctrine and Covenants, okay? Um, and then they also use the Pearl of Great Price. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a smaller version of certain works. So those are the four books that they kind of use, so when you see, uh, you might even see Journal of Discourse. Go ahead, Scott. Well, in that, do they have, in addition to the Bible, are those other three works that I'm not that familiar with, do they ever add to it? Do they ever have continuing revelation? Like if the Catholic uh, Pope was to you know, speak, it's considered, I don't know what they call it, like it's divine. Do they have something like that in the Mormon where they can continually change kind of or add to their doctrine at all? Yeah, I mean, they would say they're expounding on, you know, when they received the revelation Joseph Smith received it. They're kind of expounding on certain things. Uh, if you compare a lot of what they say, some of it's direct quotes just from King James. And then they'll just kind of add to it. You know, they again, they believe Jesus was in the Americas. We know that's not in Scripture. And then they'll say, and they'll kind of formulate their view to push that on people. They've revised as well. Sure, there's been lots of changes even like, to their own books. Like, um, say, caffeine. Right. They've kind of adapted, or you know, their statements on race on black mm -hmm. people. They've kind of gotten a little more modern, I guess. If you sure. And you'll see, and we just because of time, we don't have to go. We don't have time to go over everything. There's splinter groups even within Mormonism. Typically, one is the FLDS. Uh, that's a group that now currently practice polygamy because they would say polygamy. Uh, at the time that it was essentially outlawed was also supposedly the time that it was a revelation given to their prophets to stop it. The reason why they essentially promoted it was they said because they needed to repopulate the earth, and that's why they were uh, for it. Um, one of the things, again, just because we have so many groups to cover, again, if you want to see this after class, a couple things... What I mentioned earlier, sometimes they will employ biblical terms, okay? And they're going to redefine those terms according to how the Bible does it. So, just to give you a, two of them real quick, they will say of Adam, LDS, was the father of physical mankind. Adam is also known as Michael the Archangel, the Ancient of Days. This is found in their Doctrine of Covenants, 100, uh, page 116, okay? So, what does the Bible say about that? Well, the first created man by whom all... Humanity descends. He was not the he was not Michael the Archangel. We know that. Okay, concerning atonement, the LDS will say the sacrifice of Christ that made resurrection possible, along with the possibility of earning forgiveness of sins. 
Well, we know in the Bible the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus was on for our behalf. He died for our sins. Uh, it's not something we can earn. And so again, what I've done, it's kind of just an A, you know, I don't know, A through Z really, but what you'll see, and I just kind of highlighted the first two, and you're welcome to kind of look through this. You can see how they, you know, what they think of the Bible, what the Bible says of itself. Second Timothy 3.16, what they believe of a bishop, if you, many of them will come to your door claiming to be a bishop or an elder, or actually, I'm sorry, an elder. A bishop typically might be a kind of higher level. Um, concerning what they, they may employ damnation, okay? But when we as Christians see damnation, that's those who refuse to believe on Christ, refuse to repent, and will be in an eternal hell, okay? They, and that's again, seeing how that there's three different levels for, and they may or may, depending on the Mormon you talk with, they may or may not use those terms, okay? And you can kind of go through here and see what, how they view it. Again, they'll use terms. Now, another thing, and I think, Wally, you have this. Um, you can go to one-to-one-tracks.com. Is this one you have? Yeah. Okay. What it is, you can go to one-to-one-tracks.com. On there, there's tracks specifically to these groups, okay? on And here it says on the front, I could all mention, what does the Doctrine of Covenant say? It may go through... Uh, Pearl of Great Price. I'm going to go through the uh, Book of Mormon. So it kind of lays out what they believe. And then here on, the, on this track, and I just printed it out, but this is kind of where you can go. And then on the back is scripture verses essentially that address what they already say here. Again, it's one-to-one um, tracks.com. This can be, and you can get this for just about any group out there. And so that's kind of, again, I know we're going through it real quick, and so that is on Mormonism. Again, there's a lot of information out there, and we don't really have time to cover all, all, all of it. But let me just state this. For any of these groups, the, better, the more equipped you are with knowing the Bible itself is how you're going to be prepared to answer them. You don't have to know all the ins and outs. What you do need to know is... You know, I would say the in and ins and outs of the Bible, and then you're going to be a lot more equipped. Um, so now I want to get to Jehovah Witness. Um, same thing. They also have this at Mardell. They go through the same thing. Key beliefs, practices, history. Um, there's some, you know, there might be what some people, I, some people may consider a major. There's going to be some stuff like blood transfusions, um, whether or not they pledge allegiance to a flag, whether or not you know they celebrate holidays, they don't. To me, those are minor things. I don't typically really even bring them up when I'm talking because I want to get to the gospel. Um, the, those things to me are kind of byproducts of rules and regulations imposed on them. So I'm just going to go straight to what, to me, you know, Christ asked a question you know, when he was engaged on earth, and he says, who do you say that I am? And I think, again, that's where Jehovah's Witnesses are going to fall because they have a different Jesus uh, than one in the Scriptures. So real quickly, Jehovah's Witnesses in a nutshell, according to Jehovah's Witnesses theology, God is a single person, not a trinity, who does not know all things and is not everywhere. He first created Michael the Archangel through whom he created all other things, including the universe, the earth, Adam and Eve, etc. This creative work took God 
uh, 42,000 years. At one point, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society taught that God ruled the universe from somewhere in the Pallades star system. They have since modified this to say that the Pallades can no longer be considered the center of the universe, and it would be unwise for us to try to fix God's throne as being at a particular spot in the universe. Okay? And so such changes and even contradictions in teaching are frequent in the Watchtower organization, and when a doctrine changes their followers, uh, that the light, and they would say that the light of the truth is being um, getting bigger, you know. So they would state, after Adam's sin, the paradise which God had created for them was ruined. So God instituted a system which was revealed in the Bible and would ultimately to the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah. But God needed to have a visible theocratic organization on earth to accurately represent him. And throughout history, they would claim, the organization has had a remnant of faithful Jehovah Witnesses, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. But it wasn't until the 1800s that Charles Taze Russell formally began what is known as a Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. He did this out of Brooklyn, New York. And this organization claims to be the only true channel of God's true truth on earth, and it alone can properly interpret God's word since it is the angel-directed prophet of God on earth. Okay, when it came time for the Savior to be born, Michael, the archangel, became a human in the form of Jesus. Jesus kept all the laws of God and never sinned. Finally, when Jesus died, it was not on a cross, but on a torture, a tree essentially, where he bore the sins of mankind. But this did not include Adam's sins. Jesus rose from the dead, uh, spiritually, not physically, and during his visitations to people on earth, he manifested temporarily physical body for them to see and touch. Okay? Um, kind of a lot more history, but again, what I want to do, again, just because of time, kind of want to just get into their beliefs real quick. They would say there was one God, uh, there is no Trinity, the Holy Spirit, they would say, is a force and not a person. They would say that this force is not alive. Uh, the Holy Spirit to them is God's impersonal active force. Okay? They say Jehovah's first creation was his only begotten. Okay? So they're saying that God uh, created Christ. They would say Jesus was Michael the archangel who became a man. Okay? They would say Jesus was only a perfect man, but not God in the flesh. Uh, they would say Jesus did not rise from the dead in his physical body. Okay? They, they would even claim that Jesus was born again. Okay? Uh, they would say Jesus did not die on a cross, but on a stake. Okay? Um, their church is a self-proclaimed prophet of God. They claim to be the only channel of God's truth. Um, they would claim that only their church members will be saved. A lot more beliefs, but one of the things that I want to point out to, uh, a few years ago I was engaged with a Jehovah Witness. And, well, several, several years ago, and I was unaware that they believe that only 144,000 elect people will go to heaven. Okay? So I point out, you know, I'm pointing out John 3.3 3 and John 3.7. Where it states, you, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So I'm telling you, you need to be born again. Simple as that. The scriptures say it. 
and they'd say, those, the 144,000, are the only ones to be born again. And so, well, does that mean the rest of the people are damned? Well, no. What they would say, and when they come to your door, what they will try and recruit you with is this. They will constantly talk about a paradise on earth. We're not going to talk about heaven that much. We're going to show you beautiful pictures of everybody getting along on a new restored earth. They're going to talk to you about how bad things are, how bad things are going to get, right? Trying to get you to be persuaded by what they teach. And so they believe that if you are a faithful Jehovah Witness, you will spend eternity on a new restored earth. I'm not against a new heaven and a new earth at all. But again, I, I believe, again, you everyone must be born again. Go ahead. I think they, by doing so, they devalue the eternity. Yeah. Because, I mean, all you have to do is say, so you mean to tell me that I probably don't have a chance of going to heaven, but I can live on a nice earth? Well, not only would you not have a chance, they believe that, again, you got to keep in mind the Jehovah Witness organization has already passed 144,000. Okay, they're in the millions. So they cannot, even if you became a faithful Jehovah Witness, you're not going to heaven. So They've already been pre-selected. That would be my point. It's like, yep. Why would I want to live on a restored earth when I can eat, drink, and be merry right now, live however I want, and indulge in whatever I want, and not have any consequence? Because I'm just going to go to the ground and die. They would probably say, well, then you don't get to spend eternity on a renewed earth eating, drinking, and being merry. <laughs> That's what they might say. I don't, I don't really know. It kind of probably depends on the specific Jehovah Witness. I just play devil's with them. You know? Right. Kind of They'll also say that you won't be ready when Armageddon comes. Sure. You'll be Mm-hmm. to uh, instruct you. They're real big on, on end times. Sure. One of the things that, uh, and I just, wow, time, um, is that I have, and you can look up, is, and I printed it out, I just don't have the time, but Jehovah Witness and their many false prophecies. Um, if you have the time, you can kind of study, bring these to their attention. And there's there's lots and lots of them. I mean, over and over, you know, that is just. So the verse that the Mormons and the um, Jehovah's Witness both use for Michael the Archangel being. I know Jehovah Witness does. Um, kind of depends on what more again what Mormon you're talking to. Again, I don't. Some of them may not even be familiar with all, you know, all that they teach. Um, and that's when I'll be getting into kind of the same thing with Roman Catholicism, which I'm about to go to. Because um, if you go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I would say most of the Roman Catholics are not familiar with what they actually teach. And so they're like, well, that's not what I believe, but I can still be Catholic. So I just want to go what, what is taught from the leadership. And... Um, Again, there's a lot more information, but I, we're just so short on time. You're welcome to go through this. It has a lot of information on them. Um, and then real quickly, um, I want to go through not near as much information. Um, and that is called what is called Oneness Pentecostals. Uh, there was kind of a split. When someone says they're Pentecostal, what I would do is I don't want to assume what they believe, okay? Because the Pentecostals essentially had a split, 
okay, back in kind of between 1901, 1906. They had a couple different splits. The biggest split was between the doctrine on the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, so you can have someone that says they're a Pentecostal or an or of the Church of you know um, an Apostolic Church. They would deny oneness in Apostolic churches would deny the Trinity. Okay, where you also have people, um, let's say the Assemblies of God movement or Church of God in Christ, they also may claim to be Pentecostal. Typically, they may employ the term charismatic, but they would say they're a Pentecostal church. But those churches do affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. So just because someone says they're Pentecostal, you might want to just ask them, you know, what their thoughts are on that. Go ahead. Do you find it's common that charismatic and Pentecostal are synonymous? Or... I, I, I wouldn't use synonymous, but they do have similar beliefs. And that's why I say it kind of depends. I just want to, I don't want to assume. I just want to ask what they believe. Because a oneness would say you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Assemblies of God believe that you ought to speak in tongues, but it is not needed for salvation. They would believe that that is a byproduct of being bad, uh, having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They believe it's a second baptism. Right. Uh-huh. Second blessing or uh, Toronto. I mean, there's, but I would not, um, I would call oneness Pentecostalism and the apostolic church definitely false. Um, if you're denying the Trinity. Now, there, again, there's, I think you may not be able to articulate the Trinity as well as others, and that doesn't mean you're saved. But if you just outright deny it, and you know what it's about, and you know what they're speaking about, I, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're saved. Um, there's a couple, another term is called modalism. You'll find that. Um, now, it was brought to my attention, um, T.D. Jakes used to be a bishop of the Apostolic Church, okay? He was called a modalist. Now, I've read another article that he recanted of that position. I thought it was odd that he was on TBN called Trinity Broadcasting Network. Supposedly recanted, I don't know. So, again, that's why I would go to, you know, if I know someone that's going to their church, I'd just ask them what they believe. And maybe they're just unsure, okay? So now I just kind of real quickly want to go in. What is oneness Pentecostal theology? It affirms that... Oneness Pentecostal theology affirms that there exists only one God in all the universe. It affirms the deity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. However, oneness theology denies the Trinity. It would say the Trinity is a doctrine that there is one God who manifests himself as three distinct simultaneous persons. Essentially, he came in three modes. They would say the Trinity does not assert that there, uh, well, the, oh, this is true. They're not saying this. I would say the Trinity does not assert that there are three gods, but only one God. This is important because so many groups who oppose orthodoxy will accuse Trinitarians of believing in three gods, but that is not so. The doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God and three persons. Oneness theology denies the Trinity and teaches that God is a single person who is manifested as Father in creation and as Father of the Son in the Son for our redemption and as the Holy Spirit in our regeneration. Another way of looking at it is that they would say God revealed himself as Father in the Old Testament in the Old Testament as a son in Jesus during Christ's ministry on the earth and now as the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. Okay? In addition, oneness theology also maintains 
that baptism is necessary part of salvation. That is, in order to be saved, one must be baptized by immersion. If you are not baptized, you cannot be saved. However, not only one must be baptized by immersion, it must also be administered with the formula in Jesus' name only. Okay, They would not baptize in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Typically, they use Acts 2.38 uh, to, or I'm sorry, not uh, Acts 2. They will say, I think, I can't remember the scripture now. But they will say, in Jesus' name only, rather than in the formula of in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is mentioned in Matthew 28, 19. And they also believe that it must be administered by someone within their church. You'll find this in United Pentecostal, United Apostolic, and if you see it in Jesus' name only, okay? Oneness churches also teach that speaking in tongues is necessary is a necessary manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Since a person cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit, it follows that only those who have spoken in tongues are really saved. There is, therefore, an emphasis that oneness church members speak in tongues to demonstrate that they are saved and have the truth. Um... They also believe that they are the only ones going to heaven. They certainly believe that uh, you can lose your salvation. Um, so here's some just some quick questions you might ask them. Is Jesus his own father? If, the, is, if Jesus' will and the Father's will were identical, then why did Jesus express the desire to escape the cup, but resigns himself not to his own will, but the will of the Father? Was Jesus praying to himself in the Garden of Gethsemane? If Jesus was praying to the divine self, the divine side of himself, then isn't he still praying to himself? Why was Jesus not saying, not my will, but my, but my will be done? If there is only one person and one will involved when he was praying in Luke twenty-two forty-two, If baptism is essential for salvation then what happens to someone who repents of their sin, accepts Christ as Lord and Savior, walks across the street to get baptized, is killed by a car? Do they go to heaven or hell? If the answer is A, if he goes to heaven, then baptism isn't a requirement. If he goes to hell, then faith in Christ is not sufficient to save him. Um, and again, you, I mean... One of the groups is not Church of Christ, and I'm going over, but they would say the same thing. So that's kind of what I asked them. I, I used that on a, on a guy that was telling me that at the gym, and he started reading James White's book because I, I used that very, very mm -hmm. tactic with him. He's like, I see what you're saying. He saw, like, the folly of it sure. from just a simple illustration. Like, okay, so you mean to tell me that if somebody believes in the Lord Jesus and yet they can't get baptized in time, they got two seconds to live, they die. What happens? He's like, oh. Some of them will simply just say, only God can judge. Well, it's like the thief on the cross. Yeah. They would say the thief on the Christ died before his ascension, so they would say you can't use that. Um, but here's the thing. If they say that only God can judge, and in one sense that's a correct statement, so simply ask them, how does God judge then? Can we know how he judges someone? 
and just use their own, you know, verbiage with them rather than saying, well, no, we can judge too and all that. Just say, how does God judge people? And should I know how he judges people? Shouldn't I know how he judges people ahead of time before I'm judged by him? Um, I'm going to skip one, and I'll probably have to do this, some of this next week. There's a whole, this is a whole thing on Roman Catholicism. I just don't have the time right now. But I don't really want to skip it or go too fast. Huh? they got a long history of errors. Yeah. Um, another one is called Pelagianism. Um, this is also kind of be termed moral government theology. Uh, they would deny the imputed righteousness of Christ. They would also deny um, original sin. But real quickly, Pelagianism derives its name from Pelagius, who lived in the 5th century AD. He was a teacher in Rome and British by birth. It is a heresy dealing with the nature of man. Pelagius, whose family name was Morgan, taught people had the ability to fulfill the commands of God by exercising the freedom of human will um, again, what they're saying, in, in other words, a person's free will is totally capable of choosing God in order to do bad without the aid of divine intervention. Pelagianism teaches that a man's nature is basically good. Now think about this. We do the good person test all the time on the street. Uh, they would say, yes, it is good. Okay, Not only just neutral, they would say it is good. Thus, original sin... They have inherited, uh, they would say, you do, we do not inherit Adam's sinful nature. He said that Adam himself, when he fell, and all his descendants were not affected by Adam's sin. Pelagius taught that a person with the same purity and moral abilities as Adam was when he was first made by God. Okay, uh, There are several verses to refute this. Ephesians 2.3, Romans 5.12. Romans 3.10, Romans 6.16. Uh, this heresy, again, was condemned um, at the Council of Ephesus, the Council of Orange, uh, even the Council of Trent, Councils of Carthage. You can go on and on and on. I mean, this now there are branches of it. You can go um, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, and then you get into Arminianism. Uh, but I just really wanted to talk about Pelagianism. Because again, it, when you deny the righteous, because we, if you're a Christian, you have the righteousness of Christ given to you as a free gift. Okay, if you're and essentially what they're saying is that you can earn salvation by your works. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And then they go to even more of an extreme and teach sinless perfectionism. Okay, they would not necessarily teach that every single sin warrants damnation. Okay, but they would say there are sins that do that. Okay, there are some um, out there now. I don't know if you, um, Kerrigan Skelly is one, Jesse Morale is one that currently teach this. Some of the doctrine that they adopted was from Charles Finney, um, and this just kind of never ends, you know. And so that is kind of on Pelagianism, and you'll see some of that. You know, all of the, one thing that they have all in common here is thinking that, A, they can either earn salvation 
or they combine their efforts with the effort of Christ. You'll hear terms like maybe rather than imputed, you'll hear infused, adding your works to the work of Christ. Okay? Did you have, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, this last one again, and then we'll just kind of close out. What I've done here, kind of what I mentioned about the one to one tracks.com. Okay? I kind of want to show you real quick, like, kind of how to use this once you print it out. Again, this one is simply on cultural Christianity. So what I've done, I kind of went through it. On the first one is I just highlighted here, right? So what I so I read a verse, right? On the first, on the front of it, it'll have scripture verses. So what it, to me, what is the impactful statement like of John three thirty six, right? It talks about the being obedient to Christ. Now we just went over your obedience doesn't merit salvation, but it is God. Uh, through the work of Christ who works in and through you, okay? Um, you have, if someone said, like if you have a Mormon coming to you and they say they have the gospel or so-and-so has the gospel, then how do we know, you know, we're commanded to go out and teach the gospel? So what is the gospel? What's a simple way you could tell someone the gospel? Well, I would refer, I would refer back to Romans 1.16, highlighted it, and kind of highlighted it within it. It says the power of God into salvation. It's God's power uh, bringing someone from death to life. Um, how does faith come? Does it just come by us mustering up the will to do it? Well, here in John uh, um, ten seventeen, so faith comes from hearing and hearing the word through the word of Christ. Um, 1 Peter 1, some people think that they essentially are saved kind of by works of their parents, what their parents did. 1 Peter 1, 23, since you, have, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Um, and then another one, a lot of people, when you start talking to them, right, they'll, ref they'll refer to Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, right? Um, and then you're going to be judged accordingly. Well, as I mentioned before, I don't want to pit Scripture against Scripture. Love Matthew 7, 1, right? So what I want to do is simply ask them, how then does Matthew 7, 1 compare with John 7, 24? Do not judge yet, but do not judge by appearances, but then notice this, but judge with righteousness. Judge with a righteous judgment, right? And then in Luke 12, 50, uh, 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? We're to use judgment. So how does that compare with Matthew 7, 1? Well, kind of depends on the situation, the person, and so forth. You know, I'm not saying, like, I see an action by him, I see it's bad, and therefore I say, hey, you're unsaved, right? That's not what we're to do. But I can call the action wrong. And so I think that's... You know how to do that. Um, real quickly, there are many groups um, like the Jehovah Witness, uh, like Seventh Day Adventists, which we're going to get into, which um, uh, teach annihilationism, uh, teach either soul sleep, annihilationism, or that there is no eternal hell. So, how do we address those? Some people believe it's, uh, especially within. Um, Roman Catholicism believe in hell, but they also believe in a purgatory where you're purged of it. Uh, and so how do we 
um, address that? How do we address it, the fact that it is not just a detox place? Okay. Um, and people, I mean, I've seen people use that very term. I couldn't believe they used it, but they did. Um, and so there's scriptures to address that. You know, to me, if you have to be detox or purge, then in reality, what that means is that the work of Christ was not sufficient. I mean, that's what it gets down to. You hinge back on to Christ, who he is, and what he accomplished. Um, real quickly, like First John 5.13, because a lot of these groups are hoping that they'll be saved. They have no certainty, and they'll even admit to you that. But 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. A uh, friend of mine, Mike Stockwell, says, you know, he starts and he'll say, Christianity is not just a hope-so salvation. It's a no-so salvation. We can know the truth because of what Christ said. Uh, and that's really all the time that we have. I mean, we, we have several other groups that just don't have the time. So hopefully we'll get to it next week. <laughs> As I mentioned, um, any of you, if you're, you're welcome to look through these, uh, if someone wants to borrow either the book um, or these, you're welcome to it. All right. I guess we're dismissed. <laughs>